We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. This Shabbat, in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, a weekend that calls all of us into service. For those of you who didn't know, Coretta Scott King actually petitioned the Congress and addressed the Congress 10 years ago, and she said, I do not want a holiday to make my husband into a hero. I do not want to make a weekend where we will pull out our barbecues and have sales at Target. I'm, of course, paraphrasing what she said. I want a weekend where people will be called to service in honor of my husband, because that is what he would have wanted. And this is not so much a holiday weekend as it is a service weekend, a time for all of us to roll up our sleeves and to get busy with things that can make the world a better place. And there's no better way to honor the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. than by doing that. In fact, as soon as Shabbat ends tonight, I'm on my way to Houston, where there, Dory and I will be working with a program similar to Habitat for Humanity, rebuilding homes that were destroyed from the hurricane in memory of Martin Luther King Jr. Our kids are gonna be restocking books in a library that was damaged. And to us, this is the greatest tribute we could give to the memory of a man who we never met, but whose memory continues to inspire us today and every day. Today, we are blessed to have a fantastic speaker in our midst, someone who I am honored to call a colleague, and more importantly, to call a friend. And I'd like to share a, a brief bit about him in his bio and then a personal anecdote as well. And he's going to be talking about the legacy of Dr. King with us today. Rabbi Gerald Zelitzer is the Rabbi Emeritus at Congregation Neve Shalom in Metuchen, where he served for 45 years as the rabbi, of course, starting when he was 11 years old, he told me. Right. He's a fourth generation rabbi who was born in Columbus, Ohio. And he was ordained by my alma mater and Rabbi Friedman's alma mater, the Jewish Theological Seminary, where he also earned a degree and master's for Hebrew literature. Rabbi Zelitzer has written over 70 essays on matters of religion, the media, and American society. His writings have appeared in the Star-Ledger. They regularly appear in the USA Today, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, and major Jewish publications, including, including Judaism, the Jewish Spectator, the Reconstructionist and Conservative Judaism, leading periodicals. Rabbi Zelitzer is currently instructor of homiletics. That means he teaches young, about-to-be rabbis how to deliver sermons. He does that at his alma mater, the Jewish Theological Seminary. He has served as the president of the International Rabbinical Assembly, and he served on the Committee of Jewish Law and Standards, and he has been a member of the Ethics Committee of the Rabbinical Assembly as well. I first got to meet Rabbi Zelitzer because we studied together each summer at Hartman. And Hartman brings together people who've been out of rabbinical school for two years and for 52 years. And we all study together. And what's amazing to me about Rabbi Zelitzer is that when we take our time to study in Hebruta with a group of people, he's always flocked. He is surrounded by people of all ages, backgrounds, and denominations who are thirsty to sit next to him 
and to learn with him because of the perspectives that he brings to the Torah that he teaches. I want to tell you one beautiful anecdote about Rabbi Zelicher that I think encapsulates the kind of human being and rabbi that he is. A handful of years ago, maybe a decade or so ago, Rabbi Zelitzer and another colleague of mine got into a very friendly, appropriate, and loving debate about the purpose of rabbis speaking out on politics. And Rabbi Zelitzer said quite profoundly and beautifully, rabbis shouldn't deal with politics. Rabbis should only be dealing with issues of religion. And after time had passed and things had evolved and people had grown, Rabbi Zelitzer had seen light from a different perspective. And he reached out to this colleague and shared an article in which he penned, which said, I want you to know that I've thought about our conversation where you say rabbis should be talking about politics and its morality. And it does have a role for us. And I've changed my perspective because of you. So here was a young rabbi talking to someone who was a veteran rabbi. And this veteran rabbi was able to see the world from a different perspective, to not be stubborn, to not be locked in their place, but to really have an elasticity in their views. And I think that is what made him succeed as a congregational rabbi for as many years as he has. That's what makes his writing so poignant and potent. And that's what makes people of all backgrounds and ages flock to learn with him at Hartman and everywhere. Today, we are very blessed to have someone who is my teacher, my colleague, and my friend in our midst, Rabbi Jerry Zelitzer. And without further ado, I invite him to join me here on the Bima. Uh, th thank you very much. And uh, first of all, I want to uh, extend my congratulations to, uh, uh, to Chase and Adam and uh, families on, on your B'nai Mitzvah. Um, I didn't know before I came here, but I've discovered because some of the family and were bar, bar mitzvah in my congregation, in my tenure, uh, grandparents, and I didn't know that uh, Metuchen uh, and Edison and Kloster were closer. And I discovered that this morning here. Thank you very much. Uh, I wanna take about uh, 20 minutes of your time, and I hope you'll listen to me because I want to speak to you this morning about uh, an odd couple. One part of that couple was the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. and needs no introduction. The second partner was Rabbi Abraham Heschel. Rabbi Abraham Heschel was the preeminent theologian of the last 50 years in this country explaining how you and I can experience God in our time. And his way of experiencing God was so much against the grain that when I go to the offices of a lot of Christian ministers, I see his books on their shelves also. Rabbi Heschel and Reverend King, this odd couple, shared a major point that was against the grain of most other religious leaders. And they shared a message in their lives which still impacts our own day and our own rabbinate. 
and their belief was, their conviction was, that religious institutions like this very fine institution and religious leaders like the fine leaders in this congregation were obliged by God to be actively involved in political social issues. Yes, religion within the synagogue and church was critical. It's critical in our individual passages through life. And religion, acting on moral issues in a society to both of those men, was critical to our collective lives. And Rabbi Heschel and Reverend King preached and lived that principle. Some of you may have seen the classic uh, photo of this odd couple marching together in the dangerous environment of Selma, Alabama on behalf of uh, black and civil rights. You've seen it, some of you. Arm in arm they were, straight and sturdy in the face of police and white nationalists. Reverend King with that kind of... Uh, determined spiritual look that he had, and Rabbi Heschel with his long flowing beard looking very much like, well, Abraham, not Heschel, but Abraham in the Bible, except he had a garland hanging around his neck. That's a moving photo. But what I hope to do this morning in these words is take you beyond the photo to their shared legacy because I consider myself fortunate that in my lifetime I was in both of their presence in living time. How was it? Well, my acquaintance with Rabbi Heschel was that he was my teacher in 1963 for a year in the seminary where all of us rabbis studied in New York. And the title of his long course that year was Studying Jewish Theology. That means God talk. But Rabbi Heschel did not really teach us Jewish theology. He taught us Rabbi Heschel. He didn't teach us really about God and good and evil, which is the kind of standard course you study when you study about God talk. He taught us in his course what Rabbi Abraham Heschel believed and said about God talk. And he literally, literally read us from the galleys of his next book. Of course, we realized that we were in the presence of a transformative religious Jewish figure in America, even if we were not with a classical kind of teacher. I remember once I, I went to Rabbi Heschel's office and I wanted to talk to him all, about all this mystical God talk. And I said to him, Rabbi Heschel, uh, you talk about God in search of man. But I was thinking about it. How do you know, Rabbi Heschel, that there is a God in search of man? And he looked at me, and he talked with almost a whisper. You could hardly hear him. And he said, Mr. Zelazer, why do you insist 
on rubbing a tire across a Rembrandt. In other words, to Rabbi Heschel, my question about how do you know there, there's a God, it was utterly irrelevant. He simply knew that there was a God in search of man, and I was kind of sophomoric in asking him that question. And what about uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.? How did I come across him? On this 50th anniversary, let me tell you. Uh, he was not my teacher in a formal class. I can't say that I knew him personally, but I can say that on two occasions, I sat and heard him speak with that kind of familiar cadence that we all know. And when I did that, his message and his presence impacted the next 50 years of my rabbinate. The first time I heard him was at my ordination as a rabbi at the Jewish Theological Seminary in 64. Because he was such friends with Rabbi Heschel, Reverend King came to speak at our graduation. Do I, do I really recall what he said there? Please excuse me if I don't. I confess that I was too relieved after completing all of my courses to hear yet another presentation, like most of you who have graduated. But the second time I heard him was at our convention uh, at the Catskill Hotel um, about 10 days before he was uh, assassinated. Reverend King came to a rabbinical convention at a Catskills hotel because of the 60th anniversary, the 60th birthday of his friend, Rabbi Heschel. And King came and he wanted to speak to us about civil rights, but he was also eager to answer our questions about anti-Semitism in the black community with people like Stokely Carmichael. But then King jumped off to a different subject, a larger issue which he and Heschel shared. And King said to us that the matter of racial justice for blacks in America at this time was intertwined with the larger issue of, de of defeating poverty for 40 million Americans of all races and all colors. And King said to us, and I want to just quote one sentence, even though President Johnson said today that we have never had it so good, we must honestly say that for many people, they have never had it so bad. And then King and Heschel invited us rabbis to march with him in the upcoming weeks in Washington on behalf of the poor of all people. And he said to us, we ought to come in mule carts, we ought to come in old trucks, we ought to sit in the middle of the street and we ought to say we're here, we don't have any money, and we're not going to move until you do something about it. And of course, the march was led by his widow because he was killed 10 days later. 
and many of us went. Now, that against the grain message, and Rabbi Kirshner was talking about this whole issue, do rabbis, do clergy get involved in political issues? And he shared some of our own history. That was a message that Rabbi Heschel shared too. Because their common belief was that both clergy and laity of a particular faith should look outward from their synagogues and churches to the shared public space when there were moral issues. And Martin Luther King did that because he went to a rally on behalf of Soviet Jewry with Rabbi Heschel. And Rabbi Heschel did that when he went to a rally with Martin Luther King in Selma, and then when they both marched against the Vietnam War. How do they ever connect? How did this odd couple get together? They met first at a conference on race and religion in Chicago in 63. They didn't know each other. But coincidentally, they both started to quote the same biblical passages. And Rabbi Heschel addressed black civil rights from the Parsha of today. He said, at the first conference on race and religion, the main participants were Pharaoh and Moses. Continued Rabbi Heschel, the Exodus began but it didn't finish. And listen to this sentence, please. In fact, said Rabbi Heschel, it was far easier for the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea than for a Negro to cross the college campus. Rabbi Heschel. So both of this odd couple understood that even though there are serious differences between religions, there are also common causes in the public area where only religion can speak with a passion. Both of them understood that all religions can be compared to a kind of prism. What happens in a prism? The beam of light is one when it comes down one side, the refraction of the colors is very different, but it's the same beam of light. They both got that. And by the way, King and Heschel appreciated the religion of each other. King, for example, described his relationship between uh, Jesus and Judaism in, as a student, he wrote about that. And he said that it is wrong for Christians to think that their religion was a different religion. Jesus was actually relating in his view to Judaism. That wasn't said by any other major black preacher that I know in that day. And likewise, Rabbi Heschel affirmed Christianity. He gave an address in 1964, and he said, and please hear his words, would you or I say this today? He said, Jews ought to acknowledge the eminent role 
and the part of Christianity in God's design for the redemption of man. That was unheard of in those days. It's relatively unheard of today. King and Heschel saw that the light was one, refracted differently, and they spoke in an admirably way about each other's religion against the grain of the rest of the clergy. Professor uh, Susanna Heschel is Rabbi Heschel and his wife Sylvia Heschel's daughter. She's a uh, professor of religion at Dartmouth. And she gives two other reasons why this odd couple came together. She said it wasn't just their message of social activism. It was that they shared a framework of that social activism, a religious framework, which was very much in agreement. One, King linked a lot of the black experience to the book of Exodus that we read together today and the Exodus from Egypt of the Israelites. He didn't link it so much to Jesus. So Heschel liked that, she wrote. And Heschel's language was not just that he was telling you what God wanted to do, but he was calling people to urgent action. And that message appealed to King. And the other thing she says about this odd couple, it wasn't just their religions that were different. Their whole backgrounds could not be more different. Uh, look, Rabbi Abraham Heschel came from a Hasidic background and he went to a secular university. And that's why he could write his books in such gripping modern language. King departed from the rural black church and rural black churches in those days were not socially active in behalf of blacks. And King left that as Heschel left his background. Uh, this weekend, we're going to have a lot of, um, we're going to look with admiration to the religious activism of these two giants, for blacks, for social Jew, so, uh, Soviet Jews, for Vietnam. Please understand that in the 1960s, that kind of social activism by clergy on those kinds of issues, no matter how we look back on it now, was drew severe criticism from most of the clergy. King's own advisors, for example, were not happy, were not happy about his extending his voice beyond the cause of blacks to overall poverty. Why? because they thought and they said, you can read it in his biography, they were afraid it would dilute from the black cause. So they were very unhappy with him. And Jews, Jewish leaders, were very unhappy when Heschel marched against the war in Vietnam. Why? Because President Johnson supported very much the state of Israel and they feared that Heschel's marching in public against the war would turn Johnson's support at least more tepid for the state of Israel. And, and both of them were denigrated by other religious leaders. I personally 
at the Jewish Theological Seminary where the three of us study, the four of us, I personally heard other professors denigrating Rabbi Heschel's social activism. Why? Because they thought it detracted from his main mission, which is to be a teacher and a rabbi and a scholar. And he, of course, in response, made the very classic statement, my feet are doing the praying. And King's leaders, if you read Garrison's book on King, Garrison is a Pulitzer Prize winner on King, I think it's called Bearing the Cross, he says the same thing. The leader, his own leadership denigrated his expanding beyond the black community. So what's the message for us today? I, I think there's a common message for this community and close to or mine and Metuchen and churches and synagogues, and it's the following. We dare not restrict the activities of our synagogues or our churches to simply worship and life passage events, as important as that is. If we really take Martin Luther King seriously, if we, if we take Rabbi Heschel seriously as teachers, then we will undertake in a serious manner the universal public causes of all religions. How that's done, what's done, is up to each synagogue and its rabbi. But that it must be done if we take Heschel and King seriously, it must be done. I want to illustrate, in my own 45-year rabbi, Christian said I was 45 years in one congregation, somebody, when I came in, asked me, how did you stay so long in one congregation, rabbi? So I said, well, they would have fired me, but they couldn't find me. <laughs> okay, anyway, I want to illustrate with three uh, modest things that I did in my congregation because I felt it was filling out the program of these two men. One, one summer, the county shelter for the homeless, uh, mothers and children, closed because of renovation. So churches and synagogues were asked to house the mothers and children over the summer nights. I convinced my synagogue at that time, modestly, to open up a wing of our synagogue where homeless mothers and children slept over the summer. Two, on another occasion in my rabbinate, I argued publicly for a communal residence on my street, on my street, for senior citizens of all races and all colors. And three, on, at a still later time, we raised funds in my congregation to sponsor one family in a Central Af African country. And we provided uh, natural power for their heating and cooking. Now, I don't think those are dramatic points. They were very modest, but they were the kind of thing that I felt I could do in a modest way in my congregation, in the public area, to act out the values of Martin Luther King and uh, Rabbi Heschel. Um, I, I want to finish 
were the only disagreement I had with uh, my congregation in 45 years. Well, maybe I had two or three, but this is one of them. Um, it was regarding a window on the side of our sanctuary. Uh, my, my sanctu our sanctuary has an open window, not uh, this kind, but it's open and clear, and it looks out on a driveway, and it looks out to a house next door of neighbors. So the laity in my congregation wanted to close the blinds during services to preserve the privacy of our worship. I insisted in disagreement for 45 years that the blinds stay open. Why? Why? My, my stubbornness was based on a passage in the Talmud which says, a person should remain only in a house with windows which a tradition applies to a synagogue. A synagogue, a church, cannot be a monastery. Those who worship in sacred space must at the same time be looking out through the window to see what is happening in public space. Rabbi Heschel and Reverend King taught me what that statement really means. I was a newly minted rabbi in the 1960s. I didn't know the effect that both of these men would have on, on my service to the Jewish community. I had read of social action and tikkun olam in the books. I knew, you know, from the books. But by seeing them and living with these two men, they taught me what it means and what it means for all of us in religion and synagogue and church in the broad mission of our larger world.